Good evening. I'm Yaakov Katz, a senior fellow at the Jewish People Policy Institute, and welcome to another episode and session of the inside analysis look at the Israel-Hamas war and its different ramifications and consequences, not only here in Israel, but around the world. Today's episode, we are going to focus on one of the other elements of what has been happening since the October 7th attacks in southern Israel along the border with the Gaza Strip. Something that we've kind of touched upon on the periphery, but today we're going to dive a bit deeper into it, and that is the issue, of course, anti-Semitism. I was reading earlier today how France's interior minister used language just, I think it was yesterday, saying how anti-Semitism has exploded, literally, in France since the October 7th attacks. And there's no one, I think, two better people to discuss that with us today than Dov Maimon, a colleague of mine at JPPI, a senior fellow, uh, who just returned a couple of days ago from uh, Europe where he was meeting with officials, Jewish community members, and holding talks and giving lectures about everything that's been happening, as well as Simon Rodan Benzakain, who is the managing director of AJC Europe, lives in Paris, but manages all of the American Jewish Committee's uh, activities throughout the continent, so very plugged in to the other subsidiaries and offices that they have throughout Europe. So before we go to our two panelists, I did an interview earlier with Michal Kotler-Wunsch, who is the um, Israel's special envoy to combat anti-Semitism. She's been on the road in the U.S. over the last few weeks, meeting with the government officials there, talking a lot to media, meeting with Jewish community, and trying to explain to people how this battle that Israel is facing uh, with Hamas is actually a battle that the entire Western world is facing against. And we're seeing how the anti-Semites are coming up and also attacking Jews around the world. We'll start with Michal, and then we'll go to Simone and Dov. So here is Michal Cutler-Wunsch. Michal, great to have you with JPPI. So shortly after the war breaks out, you get on a plane, you're flying to the US. In the beginning, you're talking about the war, but that whole conversation has now shifted to some extent, I'm guessing, because of this crazy, insane rise that we're seeing definitely in America, but around the world when it comes to anti-Semitism. And the way I've looked at it is that this these, this is an interconnected battle, right? Uh, you have the war that we're fighting here against Hamas, but the the battle against Jews or the the fight against Jews, it's a war that's against all of us. So I'm curious how you see what's happening. So 100%. First of all, thank you for having me on, Yaakov. And, you know, when I got on that plane about five days after the war began, after burying our best friend's um, son, and uh, leaving my own three children behind who are in the army and my fourth who's in high school, I have to say that it was one of the hardest decisions I had to make. But it was clear that there was another front to this war. It was for anybody who's been watching and been tracking um, the mutation of anti-Semitism in international institutions, on university campuses, online, social media spaces, on the streets, anybody who has been tracking for the last decades as I have, um, was bound to know that the intersection or what 10-7 did was actually a huge explosion um, that basically exposed many, many masks. And as the war on the front lines in Israel was raging, and by front lines, I mean, as you know, the entire country, which is on the front lines, actually the unconventional war for public opinion that has been raging for decades, as I mentioned, international institutions like the UN, university campuses, social media spaces. It was going to be um, a, a moment of reckoning for all of those spaces that allowed the mutation of anti-Semitism to fester and permeate. And 
in the most unfathomable way that the very same anti-Semitism that fueled the war crimes, the crimes against humanity, the atrocities of October 7th, were going to lead to the anti-Semitism that would, as I said, unfathomably deny, justify, support, and attack Jews around the world in the wake of the atrocities of October 7th. And so what we have here is the making of a perfect storm, which, as I said, has removed so many masks for so many people. And so that first emergency trip was basically in preparation for what would happen. And then I headed back shortly um, to Israel, just literally for a weekend and right back to North America because the war is raging. And as you mentioned, Paul Kessler indeed um, uh, was killed in a demonstration waving. Um, the last picture of him is waving an Israeli flag. And we still do not know the president of a shul that was murdered um, two weeks ago. And we haven't been told exactly what happened there. The 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 um, it's almost amazing when you think about it, right? We really are the chosen people. We get attacked. We get invaded. Our people get butchered in their homes, and then you know some people. There's an outpouring of sympathy and solidarity. But the moment we start to defend ourselves, every single anti-Semite in the world comes out of the woodwork. I mean, it's like we we get attacked for defending ourselves. So, what does the world want? What 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 do these? AI I just think. Maybe just at the foundation is a hatred for Jewish people, right? But also, like they, 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 you know, they just love dead Jews. How do you understand? Like, what, what is this? So, uh, so I'll say, people don't even love dead Jews, right? We saw Jews burned, we saw Jews raped, we saw Jews bludgeoned and mutilated so badly, and we have two hundred and forty plus abducted Jews right now in the hell of Gaza. And what we understand, actually, is a very, very terrible observation, which is people don't love dead Jews if they can defend themselves. What I have said over and over again is 2023 is not 1943. It isn't. When this war broke out, as we all know, it was Shabbat morning. Some of us were dancing with the Torah for Simchat Torah, and some of us were dancing at a peace festival. You cannot have more two diverse kinds of dances. And yet all of us were targeted precisely because of who we are, Jews right. in our nation state, Israel, to which Jews and indigenous people returned after thousands of years of exile and persecution. And in many ways, the fact that for the first time, maybe in history, Jews not only have sovereignty and independence and a defense force that can defend ourselves, but actually half of us in the rest of the world live in relative safety with actual boots on the ground elsewhere in the world so that not only can we, but we must defend ourselves. Well, that prompted not weeks, not months, not years, days after the atrocities of 10-7, as we said, the denial, the justification, the support for Hamas, a genocidal terror organization, that the first ones that should have been able to be to say not in our name would have been the Palestinians to right. sever themselves from this genocidal terror organization that perpetrated war crimes of which the likes of which Jews have not uh, experienced since the Holocaust. And yet exactly the opposite happened. An outpouring of support, as I said, that actually for me exhibits what we've known for a long time, that the mutation of anti-Semitism that was enabled by the co-opting and weaponization of international law principles and human rights, I would say the guiding social construct of our time, because anti-Semitism latches on to whatever guiding construct of the time it is, right? Religion, science, now human rights, the secular religion of our time, has been co-opted and weaponized. And so in all of those spaces and places, 
what became the dehumanization and the delegitimization and the double standards that used to target the individual Jew, barring him or her from an equal place in society, is the dehumanization, the delegitimization, and the double standards that we have seen since the atrocity of 10-7, barring the Jewish nation state from an equal place in the family of nations, in that or exposing that the modern, mainstream, mutated form of anti-Semitism is anti-Zionism or the denial of Israel's right, very right to exist in any boundary, right? We all understand that the genocidal call that was projected on the library wall of the George Washington University when I was sleeping in Washington from the river to the sea, we all understand that that's a call to annihilate the state of Israel and glory to our martyrs. Those are Hamas charter, which like Mein Kampf calls for the annihilation of the state of Israel and the murder of Jews. And that has been supported, celebrated, glorified in what we consider progressive spaces, as we said, universities around the world and certainly North America. You know, as a grandson of Holocaust survivors, I I remember growing up in, we're talking, well, you're in Chicago, in Chicago, and always never understanding how could people deny the Holocaust, right? And and I watched what happened over this last month. I see the denial and you see it in real time. You don't have to go all the way back to that. I mean, just how people can tell a different story. And And I'm curious, you know, about the anti-Semitism, so you're there, you're meeting with government officials, you're meeting with you know city, state officials, you're you're talking to the media. What can practically be done? I mean, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you spoke about university campuses, the stupidity and the ignorance is just um, amazing, but there's something deeper that's going on here. Can, is it is it fixable? Can it can it be changed? Is there a remedy? So, so, so as you said, I've met with the second gentleman and with mayors, with university provosts and chancellors, with leaders of organizations. And in many ways, the single most important um, first step that I have underscored to each and every one of them, um, whenever they say we are committed to combating anti-Semitism, I ask a very simple question, and that is, what is anti-Semitism? And very often there's this sort of dumbfounded expression And then I ask, well, if you're committed to combating it, what is it? What are you committing to combating? And we have to know that the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition, the benchmark, actually the Coalition of Special Envoys to which I belong has accepted it as the benchmark definition. We have to remind everybody that the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition is the result of a long democratic process adopted by over 40 countries, over a thousand entities, and yet not implemented anywhere. If you want to identify and combat this strain of an ever mutating virus, This modern mutation of what we know of as Jew hatred that has lasted over thousands of years, the only way you can do that is by defining it. We understand that if you don't first define something, you can't very well identify it and you can't very well combat it. And so in every space, law enforcement mechanisms, cities, universities, countries, uh, White House strategies, there is no uh, point in beginning the process of identifying and combating anti-Semitism without a clear adoption and commitment to the implementation of the IRA working definition of anti-Semitism, a critical resource. And I remind us, I spoke yesterday at the UN about the first step of this Orwellian 
inversion in which Zionism became racism, according to the 1975 UN resolution, later reverted, but it didn't matter at that point because it had spread. Zionism is racism in the UN, what we know of as actually Soviet propaganda, now alive and well on every university campus in the name of progress. Well, the apartheid lie came soon thereafter in 2001, what we know of as the Durban Conference Against Racism in Durban, South Africa, you know, for a good reason, because in Durban, South Africa, that anti-Semitic hate fest that was meant to be a conference against racism turned the next lie of Israel into an apartheid state. And what you mentioned next is perhaps the most Orwellian of all. And that is actually the appropriation and weaponization of the Holocaust, of the term genocide coined because atrocities too terrible to imagine, but not too terrible to have happened, could not be described by any other word. Genocide that we should shudder to even utter the word. And actually, we know that 10-7, according to international law scholars from all over the world, had the makings of a genocide. The Orwellian inversion of taking the Holocaust, of taking the term genocide and turning it against the state of Israel, the nation state of the Jewish people, the Jew among the nations, actually rendering every Jew a target because you know what? Jews deserve to die if they are racists. They don't have diversity, equity, and inclusion principles um, protecting them like all other people because racists don't have those principles protecting them. And an apartheid state, well, what do you do with an apartheid state but dismantle it? So the call to annihilate it becomes a legitimate call. And in, in this Orwellian inversion, obviously, a state that perpetrates a Holocaust or a genocide against innocent people, well, that can't very well be a state that has a right to exist. And that is what 10-7 has done. Everywhere that I have gone, I say, you know, much like 9-11 changed the course of history in our world, 10-7, the atrocities, the war crimes, the barbaric savage acts of 10-7, they are not only uh, the war that is raging against the state of Israel, not only the war raging against Jews worldwide as we see, but they are an attack on our shared humanity. They are a war on civilization as we know it. And actually their perpetrators, whether it's the genocidal terror regime uh, that sponsors one proxy of you know Hamas and the many other proxies has declared its intent actually to build whatever it is, the caliphate on the rubble of our civilization. So part of coming here was actually to relay this urgency, not only to the Jewish community and make sure that they know that I am not only the special envoy for combating anti-Semitism for Israel, but as Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people, I am their special envoy for combating anti-Semitism. It is actually to transcend and reach across difference and make accessible the existential urgent nature of this war on our civilization as we know it in order to be able to equip the boots on the ground here that will have to fight the unconventional war for public opinion as Israel basically fights for its survival. And unfortunately, that fight is 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 not over, and it's it's raging, and it is still ahead. Uh, Michal, thank you so much for joining us here at JPPI, and thank you for all the work that you're doing on behalf of Israel and the Jewish. Okay, Jersey. so that was uh, Michal Kutler-Runch speaking with her from Chicago, where she's continuing her meetings and uh, talking with government officials as well as with the, uh, the Jewish communities. Uh, Simone, I do, I do want to shift and start with you for a moment. Uh, obviously, Europe's different. Right, we are seeing a a massive increase, but there, there there's different maybe reasons or different circumstances. So first, why don't you just give us the what's happening on the ground? You know, we, we here are seeing stars of David being drawn and painted on homes, Jewish homes. We, there was the story the other day of the eld, older Jewish woman who was stabbed. 
um, you know, increased security, increased concern. I spoke earlier about the numbers, the, 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 the rise. But what's, you know, you're there. Tell us what, what, what the feeling really is. So first of all, um, I don't think it's so different. Um, I think the difference, the main difference is that um, France has been dealing with anti-Semitism for longer. Um, the contemporary form of anti-Semitism for longer. Uh, here in France, it really started at the very early years of the of 2000, uh, when anti-Semitic uh, hate crimes exploded as well. Uh, with the beginning of the Intifada, when you look at the anti-Semitic hate crimes at the end, end of the years of in the 90s, you would have a few dozen anti-Semitic acts that changed drastically in the beginning of the years of 2000, uh, with 300, 400, there were years where we'd have uh, up to 900 anti-Semitic acts. Um, it was also an anti-Semitism, continues to, an anti to be an anti-Semitism, uh, that is, as um, very accurately um, uh, was just described, a, an anti-Semitism that is often linked to the hatred of Israel, um, is often coming um, not only from the far right, even though that absolutely exists, but coming from minorities, uh, coming from the far left. Um, and that anti-Semitism is particularly violent. So we are um, here witnessing in France, ob obviously, uh, an extreme form um, of what we have been witnessing over the past two decades, because it's uh, we've had uh, over a, a thousand anti-Semitic acts uh, over the last four weeks. Uh, that's uh, three times more uh, than we had recorded uh, last year uh, over an over one entire year and over in just in just a month. Um, but we are still witnessing um, the the same um, phenomenon. I think um, what what um, what the big difference is, I think, between now um, after um, October seventh and what we have seen in the past twenty years, is a certain um, is. We were we were used to having when something was going on in in, in the Middle East between Israel and and Hamas, we were used to having uh, repercussions here in 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 France. We would, had it in 2014, uh, we had it in 2021, of course. So we were used to that. But here this time, there is something a little different. There is sort of a passionate a passion about it. Something sort of a a a a passion about the violence that was unleashed. And where, where does that and where does that come from? Why? Why now? I think, I think we saw something a little bit similar um, back in 2012 when uh, the terrorist Mohamed Meha um, attacked Jewish school children, killed, murdered Jewish school children in, in the southern city of Toulouse. Right. And where for a few weeks we would have a huge increase of anti Semitic acts, as if that the very act of doing that, by the way, the terrorist himself had exactly the same modus operandi. He used a, Go, a GoPro cam, recorded his crimes yeah. um, at, at the time, so had exactly the same, but it is as, it was as if it had inspired. So can I say something of, that, that I don't, maybe is not political, but people, they smell blood and they want more. Exactly. Exactly. It's like it is passionate. There is something there is something really passionate about this, about this, this, this violence as if sort of as, as if it sort of legitimizes everything that has been sleeping 
um, over the a while, and now it can come out. Wow. So, so, so this, and I, and and I don't. Again, I think what we are seeing now in France, we are seeing everywhere. Um, maybe a positive note about France, um, maybe because it's been going on for such a long time, we're slightly more prepared for it. We as the, the, being the Jewish community? The Jewish community in terms of having this, the resilience, it doesn't take away the fear. Jews are freaked out. They are fearful. Um, they are changing their names on their doors. They are taking off their mezuzot. Uh, they are not wearing kippot in the streets. They are afraid to take taking their kids to school. Um, but that was also, by the way, to some extent, also the case between b before um, uh, before. Um, but um, we are a little bit more, and I think um, we are used to it, so we are a little bit more resilient. Um, and I think the society as such and the government as such um, is also a little bit more prepared. Uh -huh. So, um, for example, while the demonstrations were frankly, some, some of them were horrible, and really not candy to the eye, um, because the the government had decided to um, ban many of them, they were actually not violent. Uh, contrary to, by the way, to 2014, where the where the demonstrations in France were the most violent out of all demonstrations that were happening across across the world. Uh, they were more violent in, 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 than in the UK. They were more violent than in Germany. But because I think the government has been so adamant, so clear, so strict, um, there has been a little bit less um, of that. Um, and, and we'll have to see. Again, I, I'm, not, I'm not painting it all a rosy picture. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, it's far from being a rosy picture. But there is a certain preparedness, even in the ability to have a conversation about what we are actually facing, um, about the fact that we are facing anti-Semitism that is related to Israel, re, re, Israel um, hatred, that we are facing an anti-Semitism that is coming from Islamist sources, that are, is coming from within the Muslim community, that we are facing an anti-Semitism that is coming from within the far left. And to some extent, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the far left leader, is relatively isolated. Yeah. Um, so again, far from being a rosy picture, I think there is a little bit of something of being slightly more prepared than, for example, what is currently going in the, on in the United States. It right. happens okay. so quickly, so yeah. quickly. So, uh, Dove, you know, um, I remember 2015, after the hyper kasher and, and, and those attacks, there was a there was a thought here in Israel, for example, that um, French Aliyah would would spike, would would climb, and uh, the Jewish agency and the diaspora ministry, everybody started to work really hard and the Aliyah ministry to, to see. And the numbers kind of went up, but nothing uh, significant. Ophir Sofir, Israel's uh, minister of, of Aliyah, said the other day, excuse me, it was yesterday, the day before, that he expects there to be a massive increase of Aliyah um, after this war because of the anti-Semitism that Jews are facing around the world. It, it, when, when you think about France in particular, what would your response to that be? 
Uh, absolutely. First, I, I want to to follow what Simon Rodan has said before, and uh, really, the, there is a difference between France and, and other places. Especially, I was this weekend in Geneva, in Switzerland, and I see people in Montreal, other places when people speak French, and they say for them it's completely new, and they are in shock when they see what happened in Montreal. They just don't understand because the first time they met it. And, and so there was a fire bomb that was thrown at the entrance to a synagogue in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, in a yeah in a in the Hebrew Foundation in Tolas des Ormeaux, and and then Geneva also people are really frightened. They they feel alone. They feel they have nobody to talk to. Nobody can hear them, and they they don't understand what happened to them. And uh, and in France, it's not the same thing. I will say the danger is higher than ever in France. Yesterday, just stopped three people wanted to kill Jews and they're passionate. They are passionate with killing. It's a really crazy thing. It's people who have nothing to do in their life and they want to kill Jews like an absolute way to, to find redemption or, or salvation or something. It's very, very dangerous and the community is not ready for that. And the community and the police is not ready for that. They cannot protect the Jews really. So we feel the Jews are somewhere aware that there is very dangerous, but they are not scared. They, they they can speak about it. They can articulate something about it. What would happen with Aliyah? So as you say, in 2015, as I wrote then, the plan Aliyah for uh, the, the national plan, Israel plan for Aliyah, and we get a lot, a lot of, of Aliyah. And then we, we, you know, Aliyah is one of the people who can go away. It's not everybody can go, go, go away. People who have a family, people who have old people, they care, care of their parents, people who have no money, they not, don't have enough resources to, to make Aliyah. So it's, it's today we think that it's very difficult to move to Israel, especially during the war, for sure, but even after war. But we see already in the last three days, or in last week, we have dozens of families who have re uh, registered to make Aliyah and they, they probably will do it. So it's a it's a really, regarding Aliyah, we expect a spike. It will be different. It's a new population will come to Israel because they really feel that the, there is not so much pink, pink scenario for French Jews. So this is the point. I just want to add two things. You know, it's not, not only the Jews are scared, because we say maybe they are just paranoidic, but it's not that. The European Commission has condemned the situation where Jews in Europe are living in fear once again. The director of German domestic intelligence, Thomas Eidenwong, I recently warned again the return of the darkest hours in national history. So it's not something uh, only the Jews are aware of, but people around are really aware. And regarding what happened with America, we can say America is becoming Europe. Like I say regarding Geneva and Montreal, they discover that that's something the French Jews know well a lot, and that's the reason we have to ask people like Simone and other people in France, because they have a lot of experience, and maybe they, we can learn from them about how to respond to that, if we can respond in any way. Simone, one of the interesting uh, elements also of this war, I, I think, you know, I'm not an expert on France, but just following European responses in the past to clashes that have taken place here, we usually see a stronger uh, political condemnation of, uh, you know, when there's when there tends to be violence, whether it's in the West Bank or even in the Gaza Strip. Now, here, what happened on October 7th was definitely of a different caliber and scale, and that has given Israel more sympathy from world leaders. But even, you know, Emmanuel Macron 
came to Israel, has spoken a number of times, I think it was just yesterday or the day before, where he had another or second or third phone call with Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, has been checking in regularly, has, has, has been quite steadfast in his support for Israel. You're not seeing him come out every day with calls for ceasefires, like we're hearing a lot from the United States. Um, and 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 with that said, you know what makes that I think even more interesting is that for for years now we've been told that you know France is taken over by the Muslims, has been taken over by the African uh, immigrants, um, similar to like London Stan, which people talk about this happening in London. So you really see a, a very a, a, a division or a split almost between the political class and the people on the streets, right? And, you know, France is a country that has experienced homegrown terrorists, right? You know, the, the guy, I mentioned Hypercacher before, that was a, a, a French, uh, you know, Muslim citizen who carried that out, as well as Bataclan, if I'm not mistaken, and some of these other attacks as well. So the, the, the um, explain to me how you view kind of Macron and the political class and, and, and knowing that there's, there is this large, sizable population, right, that knows how to be violent. I mean, we saw riots not long ago after the death of the young boy by a policeman in parts of suburbs of Paris. Uh, you know, look like look like a you know what you would expect to see on the streets of uh, when there was back in the days of the Intifada. So, how how does that play out? So, um, first of all, I think you're right. There is generally more sympathy um, um, in Europe, in France in particular, uh, but generally in Europe, I think, with what um, Israel had to endure. I mean, I think the sheer horror um, of what happened on October 7th uh, resonated profoundly um, with many European leaders. Um, but... Um, you still do have, though, um, a a sort of elements of of sort of sympathy, of course, concern about uh, about uh, the Palestinians that exists in the political class, without a doubt. That that being said, um, let, let me go back. I think the the issue the 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 fact that France, in particular, experienced uh, terrorism itself. Uh, changes a lot in its in 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 its approach and its understanding of the situation um, uh, in in Israel. Um, I also think what uh, what was said earlier about the fact that this is actually a civilizational issue. Uh, that there is a growing understanding that uh, you know we are back at a civil civilizational war. We are back in. In a, in a world where where you have uh, democracies, uh, where you have uh, countries that uh, respect human rights, uh, respect liberal democracy, and then you have uh, entities, you have uh, countries, uh, you have the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, you also you even have uh, you have Russia uh, in its with its invasion of Ukraine, uh, you have China. We are more and more in sort of a a, a world where we are that, that is becoming binary and i think there is growing understanding that israel is part of the west of liberal democracies and so i think this plays um, in along and lastly the fact that we are to some extent facing exactly the, not only the threat the civil civilizational threat 
from the outside, but we are facing it within our countries. Uh, with uh, is radicalized um, um, Islamist elements that are posing a threat uh, to our society, uh, that are targeting, of course, and, and again, don't forget, in 2012, Mohamed Marah killed three Jewish school children and a teacher. He then killed uh, Muslim soldiers. Uh, and then the following attacks was Charlie Hebdo, Hypercacher, Bataclan, Nice. So there is, I think, a growing understanding that that at the end we are, as a society, uh, facing that threat uh, together. Now, will it translate on a long on a long run? Will we not have you know continued pressure of uh, political parties that are trying to um, appeal to you know in particular Muslim communities within France? Uh, are is there not also a fear to make sure that you know? both sides are respected in order to appease uh, certain communities. It's very possible. But I think within society, there is definitely a growing understanding that what Israel is facing, what Jews are facing, is exactly the same thing than, than what our civilization, what our liberal democracies are facing. It's very interesting, and this is a battle, right? That I think the whole West is face is 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 up against right now. The, the, the you know on October seventh they attacked us in Israel, but as you mentioned, just the the sheer number of attacks that have taken place just in in Paris or France over the last few years is tomorrow could take place, could take place there. Uh, Dove, you you were uh, you know you mentioned Geneva. You met with some uh, European parliamentarians as well. Um, what was your sense from them when you look across the continent also? Some of them were telling you how they fear, you were telling me, recalling from me a conversation you had with one Jewish woman who spoke about how it's it, it feels, it does, it's a little different, but feeling than what Simone was describing, a, fe a feeling of abandonment or being alone uh, on what's happening. Yeah, I think that's, that's a big problem for the Jews. You know, there are very, a lot of Jews who have been liberal for all their life, belong to the to the leftist camp they try to fight for all the minorities for all the refugees and suddenly they find themselves alone and they ask themselves did I was wrong did the maybe the Jews were paranoid they can say every which non-jew is against the Jew are right maybe I was wrong and and they don't want to be there they want to continue to be according to the Franz Rosenzweig famous famous sentence you know i'm jewish and everything human is a uh, is a uh, is 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 not foreign to me and they want to be there this is the way this is the way to be jewish to be jewish is to be for the freedom for for against oppression everywhere and so this is very especially difficult for the for the people from the left it's already happened in france some 20 years ago or 15 years ago and it happened now with the people in in america it's happened with people in canada and switzerland so it's a it's something it's something very deep i mean something you know and and what simon has said that uh, they feel that uh, what happening in gaza is a free to French way of life. It's not especially because they love the Jews, but because they feel that if it's happened today in Gaza, it could be, what happened today in Gaza could happen tomorrow in Europe. I mean, seven people, about 10 out of 10 people say what happened in, 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 in Beiri on the October 7th could happen in Paris today. Seven out of 10 people really French, feel that we have a fight. 
French people, non-Jewish people, they say, so they really feel that it's really a fight of civilization in some way. They feel the, you know, the, the Muslim in some way do a threat to the, to the riots. They tell the, the government, and so if you don't give us what we want, we can make riots. And if we have riots, we don't know what could happen in France. So, so it's a very, very fragile situation. And it's not very nice to be. We open, we hope that it will be better. In few days, what we can say, the most important thing everybody has to remember, we have, and what I told people in Geneva for the following, I told them, you know, we live in solitude, a Jewish solitude, the uh, loneliness. But it's, it has been the story of the Jews for 2,000 years. We just have, a, we are very lucky, of all us, because we, after the war, a Second World War, we are a seven decade uh, grace period. And this grace period is over. So we have to go yeah. again and to feel alone and to and to to try. Maybe we can uh, we can find other way, but it it will not be easy. And we are the front the front line is everywhere. I mean the front line is in Paris, uh, and it's even more difficult for the Jews in Europe because in some way they are hostages for the foreign policy of Israel. I mean you know they they have to they don't vote for the government of Israel, but when but they're Israel affected, war, yeah. They're definitely a yeah, collateral damage of something they cannot control. So it's even more harder. When you are in Israel, at least you you say, this is my country and I fight for that. And I, I assume I'm ready to, to, to pay the price. What Dov, on what Dov just mentioned, there is, I think, an additional point that is particularly difficult today for French Jews. And that's the fact that um, in the back of their minds, uh, most French Jews, whether they did Aliyah or didn't do Aliyah, there was Israel. Um, there obviously still Israel is Israel, but the sense of security um, of, of of what French Jews have in mind about Israel today, I think, has changed. Um, to 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 know that uh, one thousand four hundred Jews were slaughtered, raped, murdered um, in the heart of Israel, yeah. Um, is something psychologically extremely complicated for French, for French and European Jews. I think diaspora Jews in general, um, because there is sort of a feeling now that um, not only a feeling of solitude, but a feeling of nowhere to go. That wherever wherever you look, there is danger. There is no safe space anymore. Um, and I think that's a very uh, distressing, nearly sort of metaphysical uh, thought um, for many European Jews. Listen, it's a it's it's a scary reality, and I think that here in Israel, while I don't know that we yet have polling on this, but there's no doubt in my mind that Israelis and I, I said said this to a group the other day that I met with from America. You know, obviously we're very concerned for our physical security here, right? We're concerned for our loved ones who are fighting in Gaza and we're concerned for all soldiers and everyone, right? But but when we see these stories, like what happened to that French woman uh, who was stabbed or the Magin David on people's homes and hear stories about people taking off mezuzahs or Paul Kessler who was hit in the head with a megaphone in LA and killed, I think Israelis get very concerned for people in LA and very concerned for people in Paris. And that's, that's the beauty of our people, the Jewish people. I always okay. say, you know, wherever wherever we are, we're, we're always, you know, you're always more concerned for the person who's not next to you, and we're more we, we think it's more dangerous in Paris than it is, you Very know, true. 
Jerusalem or somewhere in Israel. We are lucky people. We are lucky because everyone feels lucky but the over Jews. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're lucky and we're the chosen people, but we're also, I think it's one of the beautiful aspects in, in characteristics it of what it means to be a Jewish, part of the Jewish nation. So I want to thank you, Simone uh, Rodan Benzakane, the Managing Director of AGC Europe, for joining us and to Dove Maimon, a senior fellow at JPPI. This has been another episode of our inside analysis of the Israel-Hamas war. We will be back again tomorrow. In the meantime, prayers for a peaceful and quiet night in Paris and in Israel, of course. Thank you. Amen.